0: So here's, here's what we're going to do is we're going to play a little game to start. So this is audience participation. So in our consumer mentality, there are all kinds of just refrains and slogans that get tossed around. I want to see how well you know your brands. And so if you're online, drop it in the chat. Let us know what brand it is. If you're in the room, just go ahead and chat it out. All right, Richard, let's roll the first one. Just do it. There we go, Nike. All right. So we're going to have some great competitive people. I, I feel that's going to, who can get it first? It's okay. We can have a little friendly competition this morning. Richard, let's go to the next one. Breakfast of champions. Wheaties. Oh, yeah. Peggy was on that one. Okay, let's go to the next one. McDonald's. Okay, I'm loving it. There we go. Let's go. Taste the rainbow. Skittles. Yeah. What's in your wallet? Capital One. There we go. Now, now, this one depends on, you know, which voice you hear it in. Because if you're a little bit older, you hear it in the Jennifer Gardner voice. But if you're a little bit newer to the commercials, you hear it in the Samuel L. Jackson one. The, the What's in Your Wallet. Uh, okay, let's go to the next one. There we go. I like that. Someone said, Jesus, got to catch them all. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was good. That was good. That was Pokemon. So, yeah. <laughs> I, that's good. A little fun this morning. Well, th- The point of that is is we, we associate different brands with their slogans. Over the first two weeks of this series, I've tried to provide a snippet of why songs are good for us. The songs that we sing. In fact, German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Our song on earth is speech. It is the sung word. Why do Christians sing when they are together? The reason is quite simply that in singing together, it is possible for them to speak and pray the same word at the same time. In other words, for the sake of uniting the word. When we sing, we sing scripture aloud together. A common word and a common refrain. Because, see, as followers of Jesus, we aren't consumers. We aren't simply recipients or passer buyers. We are co participants with God in carrying out His mission. And followers of Jesus are to increasingly imitate Jesus' character and priorities. Therefore, we need road signs of sorts, that say, hey, this way. If you're going to participate in Jesus' mission, if you're going to embody his character and priorities, go this way, act this way. Songs do that for us. They provide a reminder and refrain. A reminder and a refrain. They enable us for our hearts to cry out to God. And in Psalm 136, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. For 26 verses, the psalmist, the author, cites specific things about God and then provides this refrain, a slogan of sorts. His faithful love endures forever. If we were to kind of create a brand slogan for God, I think this speaks very clearly about who God is. What we want to associate with God is that his faithful love endures forever. So the psalmist, throughout the 26 verses, will cite different things. Strong arm. He's a refuge. He provides rescue. He intercedes. One verse says, he he remembered us in our humiliation, and yet his faithful love endures forever. He rescued us from our foes. His faithful love endures forever. Forever. Psalm, we sang that song together, that, that song, the second song that we sang, forever. We sang it to remind us who God is, to cement and to solidify that slogan of sorts, that refrain in our hearts. This psalm is likely something that they would have sung. Throughout scriptures, those who are the people of God would have they they sung psalms. That's why there's a whole section of scripture called psalms, psalm because they would have sang it. It was the worship of God's people. So this is a song they would have sung. So and what they are cementing in their mind are specific instances at which they can ascribe to God, that which then He intervenes, and they can say in this instance, in this concrete. Way, His faithful love endures forever. In the midst of specific experiences, in the midst of the everyday, God's faithful love endures forever. So it's obvious this refrain is this, but I think it means something a little more succinct. If I was to sum it up, those those words to be even shorter, not necessarily that they need to be. I think we can say that God is good. That God satisfies our soul. His faithful love endures forever. God is good. Almost like a cool drink on a summer day. Or a belly full of warm mashed potatoes after Thanksgiving. Or a a sweet aroma that takes us to, to the coast or to a mountaintop, or to grandma's kitchen. God provides satisfaction. When we understand the goodness of God expressed in His faithful love enduring forever, it provides a substantive, a sensory experience that allows us to understand who He is and what He has done. And so how does the refrain his faithful love endures forever turn into God is good. Begins with a note of God's integrity. God is genuine, true and faithful. God keeps his promises. Now, I could spend some time reiterating this again and again, but this is actually what we looked at week one in songs we sing, that God is a man of his word, that he keeps his promises. He is faithful and true throughout the story of Scripture. God is genuine, true, and faithful. And so if you missed that week and are trying to figure out what it means for God to be faithful, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that uh, teaching, because God is A man of his word. And so let's move to the next word in that slogan. Love. We import all kinds of things to that word. Because of our everyday experience. What that means, how that looks, how it's expressed. But I think today's song gives us an indication of what kind of love God demonstrates in the everyday. One that we don't have to import one that we can experience because God shows up in the every day. And the people of God, the reason this Psalm 136 is so powerful is because they look and they they look back on their experience where it says he led his people in the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. That's a specific experience where they experience the presence of God to help them understand what love is was and is and if we were to parse that out to describe love i think it shows up in three ways first is that means god is benevolent when we think of love when we think of god's love god's love is benevolent he unselfishly seeks our ultimate welfare he unselfishly seeks our welfare which means god does not withhold his love He does not withhold his goodness. He doesn't keep you at arm's distance, kind of like a stiff arm of like a football player. He He doesn't set that aside, but he unselfishly seeks our ultimate welfare. Two, God is gracious. He deals with people not on the basis of their merit or worthiness, what they deserve, but simply according to their need. Meaning that sometimes God prevents hardship. And other times he aims to be present within it. God gives us precisely what we need. God is good in that way. He is generous in that way. He seeks our welfare. Means there's there's not limits. I I think of uh, a a warranty on a car. Your engine's gonna go out or, or something like that, and it's like you got sixty thousand miles or five years, and and if you don't, you know if something breaks, then cool, we'll fix it within then. But if it happens after, you're out of luck, you're on your own. So there's limits, there's terms, there's conditions. But if God is is good, if His faithful love endures forever, means that it's not a limited warranty, it's a lifetime warranty. That means you have access to that. That means that God's love is present and available to you. You may feel like you've got to set some terms or limits, but God has the, doesn't have those terms and those limits. It is free and available to you. And it's, you don't got to sign a contract of sorts. He wants you, He pursues you, He is after you, and He wants you to simply respond to that. And we see that how He has provided for that in Jesus. God's love is good. It's gracious. There's no limits and conditions. And sometimes we import our own experiences onto God. We, we feel like it, it's, it's, we've got limits. Enough's enough. When, you know, I'm going to give that person one more chance, and then, and then we're done. Where we set some of those terms and those conditions. But God's terms and those conditions is not based on who you are, but on who he is. That God is good, He is loving, and He is faithful. And that is consistent, that is persistent, that is constant. He pursues us in that way, and He simply wants us to respond to that goodness. That that lifetime warranty of sorts is available to us. And He continually extends it to us again and again. Like a good dad. When we need something, when we want something, He doesn't slap our hand away but freely gives us His love. Which means there's no limits to how far you could run or how far you could go. You may you may feel in your mind like, oh, I, of course I've done that or... I, there's no way I could come back. You you exclude yourself. Like some people say at times, well, there's no way I could show up to a gathering in church because seriously, the roof might fall in on me. And so we set terms and limits, not on the basis of God, but on us. And God wants that to be reversed. He says, no, I am good. I am benevolent. I am gracious. My faithful love. It's consistent with who I am, and that you have availability and access to that through Jesus. See, God's love is persistent. See, there's this word sometimes used throughout Scripture called long-suffering. God does have justice. He does have wrath, which means things will, will come due. The bill will have to be paid. Sin has consequences. But God's love is persistent, so sometimes God withholds judgment and continues to offer a way out of our sin and our selfishness over a period of time. He bears the weight of our sin and our selfishness and our self-righteousness. God sometimes even suffers rejection by us, but still extends love and purpose. That is love, the ability to bear the weight of rejection and consequences, but still pursuing us, knowing that one day sin and selfishness and brokenness will get its due, that love, the brokenness that we experience, will be reconciled. That's why last week when I talk about death was arrested, it talks about the ultimate vision, the ultimate hope of that reality, We can have a hope that that transcends this present experience so that the suffering that we experience, the brokenness that we experience will be dealt with. But it will be dealt with in God's timing and not our own. God is benevolent, he is gracious, and he is persistent. And the last word in today's refrain is endures. Meaning it lasts. It's constant. In some ways, it speaks to the persistence I just described. But it also reframes things in another way. How God acts will outlast anything. It will outlast anything. It's why we need the line forever. To help us understand that there is no limit. There is no someday, or maybe this will happen, or eventually when I'm good enough, God will accept me or love me. There's no, well, I just need to check this one more box, and then it will finally be present. No, God's faithful love endures. In Divi- difficulty times and good times, it lasts forever. And our sense of time, I think, often gets messed up. See, a different refrain that we listen to is, well, God's faithful love only lasts maybe for a little while or for a short time. Well, until I mess up again. No, God's faithful love lasts forever. See, and we do that because we think things need to happen now. Needs to happen immediately. And our sense of time gets reversed. And we essentially reverse the direction of time by defining God based on our circumstances. If we just do this, if we just are a certain way, then clearly that proves who God is. Rather, things work the other way. Who God is proves how God acts, which then we learn who we are, and then we can respond. But when we define things by now, by our own circumstances, by our own perspective, we place ourselves at the center, not just of our own lives, but of the universe. And when we reverse the course, we actually subvert our own humanity. Only humans can decide to focus on something not actually happening around them. Some of you, maybe your mind is elsewhere. You're distracted. You're in a distant place while you're physically here like planning a mammoth hunt or composing a strategy memo or thinking about your to-do list or thinking about something else, whatever it is, your favorite sports team. What's so amazing about our human mind is that we can have a different sense of time. We're not ruled by our gut. We're not rule- we don't have to be ruled by our instinct like a dog that is directed towards food because it's simply poured out from it. We can have a level of self-control. We can have an understanding that there is a God that transcends this moment and he has stepped into the imminent because his faithful love endures presently and forever. And God gives us these little reminders about his presence transcending this moment. See, God created humanity to be needy. To know that there is going to be a sense of now. But now doesn't have to define all of our lives. He gave us continual reminders of our need for him and his ongoing provision. That there's something beyond the moment. Hunger, thirst, exhaustion, need for love, relationships, and intimacy. None of these can be filled within ourselves. It requires something else. But when we look for fulfillment and satisfaction in those temporary things, and elsewhere in life, we become bitter and complaining because people and things eventually fail to deeply satisfy our souls and the needs God created in us. See, the now, the immediate, never truly satisfies because our minds, our hearts were created to be loved, not for a moment, to be connected to a love that endures forever, that is all good and all present. Yeah. See, God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for my satisfaction. And it's one thing for us to say it. It's another thing for else for us to sing it. Yeah. See, that's why song is so important. When, the, the reason we do four songs at, at the beginning and a song at the end is not simply because that's what churches do. It's to help us be reminded and have a common refrain, to speak the words of Scripture aloud. So sometimes when we come in and we don't feel like singing, we actually need to sing because it beckons our heart towards the, the, the transcendent, beyond the moment, to, to go beyond what we feel and what we experience, to be reminded that God's love, His faithfulness, when things are, are breaking, when, th- when things are sometimes out of control, that God is present. And it's not just me just saying that, but the science bears that out as well. In a Berkeley article called The New Science of Singing Together, the article concludes that singing and creating music together has a strong positive effect on physical and emotional health, as well as an accelerating impact on relational connections. In other words, God made us to sing together, to be people who sing the word of Scripture aloud, to to cement that in our heart and mind. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I quoted him once already, let me quote him again, said, It is the voice of the church that is heard in singing together. It is not I who sing, but the church collectively. However, as a member of the church, I may share in its song, I am part of something bigger this all true singing together must serve to widen our spiritual horizon. It must enable us to recognize our small community as a member of the great Christian church on earth. and must help us willingly and joyfully to take our place in the song of the church with our singing. Be it feeble or good, we must sing the song and the sound and the story of Scripture. To remind ourselves that God's faithful love does endure. Not for a little while, but forever. See, in the digital age, it's easy to lose sight of our place in the larger story. To live with a narrow, self-centered perspective. The I need it now or I must have it now but when we gather together to worship through music and singing we have the opportunity to widen our spiritual horizon to willingly and joyfully take our place in the song of the church to step into the bigger story. To step into that, and we know that it doesn't transcend this moment. Let me reference another song that we sung that Ann pointed out, the Revelation song, that we can say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. That's directly out of Revelation, and we're able to do that and sing that. Know that we're not bound by this moment, but we step into that larger story that will be sung and lived out forever, that we have a hope of a new heaven and a new earth, that the song we sing, that we're trying to get down deep into our souls, that we want to believe and live in our everyday can be carried out, not just for a little while, but it actually will be carried out. It will be lived out eternally. And we have that hope. So when we sing, whether when we use sometimes words like you and your, we're not looking to our neighbors. To say, yeah, your faithful love endures forever. No, because we know humanity, we will fail and we are fragile and we won't always live up to that grand vision. But that you and the your we sing is that of God. That you, God, oh God, will be faithful and true to who you are. To remind ourselves that the people around us may fail, that circumstances may be difficult. But God still provides purposeful favor, even when we settle for lesser satisfactions. And sometimes, God eradicates this faulty dependence so that we can truly enjoy life. Author Annie Crouch says, worship reminds us the shape of true life. The shape of true life is not that we have to grab everything here in the moment, but that there is a joy and a satisfaction that transcends the temporary. Here's a practical example of this switch. Let me take something that may be a little controversial, but I, I think it's worth pointing out. Let's, let's take it as something like alcohol. When we begin to understand who God is and what he is, and he is a good God that gives us good gifts, we can savor sweet flavors of wine, of a beer, versus utilizing it as a, an escape after a long day's work. We, wha- we can use it, we can enjoy, rather than f- use it to escape and to cope. Let me give something else. What about sex? We can see sex as an enjoyable gift made for the confines of marriage and as a good gift to help us ag- enjoy intimacy rather than as a means to gain power, approval, or confirm an identity. Because God is a good God who wants to give us good things. And because God is a good guy, because he gives, has purposeful favor, means he's created this world and this life, sensory experiences, so that we can enjoy. The, the work that you do, you are meant to enjoy it. But when you are reliant upon it for your sense of status or purpose, you, see, you rob yourself of the humanity. But when you have an eternal purpose that transcends the moment, You can love and serve others because you don't need the job. You don't need the alcohol. You don't need the sex. And I can list other things. You don't need that to know who you are. You know who you are because of who God is. Therefore, we can then enjoy life. Because see, instead of seeking ultimate satisfaction from food, drink, exercise, sleep, or relationships, We need to trust the one and only who could truly satisfy our needy hearts. Jesus came to satisfy the hunger of our souls, to give us rest, to live in an intimate and loving relationship with us. Jesus is the better fulfillment of our every need. And when we are defined by that, when we begin to embody that, then we can enjoy life. Work isn't so much pressure anymore. You don't need substance to cope with the difficulty of life. And so while I've outlined a myriad of options, I think that maybe you can see how you might apply this teaching. That God's faithful love endures forever. That that he steps into the present and shows up to provide, just like he did in Psalm 136. He does that today when we begin to trust and follow Jesus that's where he most purposely and profoundly did that, is in stepping out of heaven and come to earth to provide us a way to know him, to understand what it means to truly be human. So I think those who are followers of Jesus can see some calls to action out of that reality. But if not, let me give you a few. See, when we understand that God is loving, and he's patient, and he's faithful, and he's present, he's benevolent, he's good, and I can keep going on with the synonyms if I need to to help give you a better picture, a well-rounded picture. We are called to then express that, which means we can do something like check in consistently. We embody what we sing. It means we t- can text a friend, how are you doing today? I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Maybe multiple times a week. Borderline, I'd say, getting maybe a little bit annoying, but the, but the presence and the principle there is, No, I want to communicate that you are thought of, that you are valuable, that the love that God has for me can be expressed through me to you. So you text, you call, you check in. You begin to embody what we sing. That God's love is constant, that it endures. So it means that you don't set limits at times. Someone slights you, so I'm going to check in. I love you how are you doing? I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. And maybe they respond back and you just listen and you care and you pray and you hope together. The second way I think you can express this is in celebrating. Seriously, Christians should be some of the most joyful people in the world. Because we're defined not by these present circumstances, but by a good and gracious heavenly Father who gives us good gifts. So then we can celebrate. We can, we can have joy. So th- that's why even something like as simple as throwing neighborhood parties, we're, we're going to continue to talk about these, we want you to throw a block party. We want you to throw a neighborhood party so that you can communicate to your neighbors that God, that God has loved you and you want to love them. So throw a neighborhood party. Throw a block party. Celebrate. Do something tangible to express that. Invite them over. Get a little bit competitive in cornhole. Talk a little trash. Make some good barbecue. Enjoy some good things. Not to prove yourself or to be popular but because God is good and we want to share the goodness of God with others. That's why I I talked at the beginning to write how we're celebrating things on our gen cards. Little things, seemingly insignificant things. We want to be a people who celebrate because we are going to be celebrating for all eternity the goodness of God, that God is holy, that he is lovely. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, that he is worthy. And so we can celebrate and enjoy things now. And then as we check in consistently, and as we even celebrate, that we're then able to connect the dots. And when people start to go, why are you celebrating? Why are you sharing praises? Why why are you sharing these good things? Why do you constantly text me and ask me how I'm doing? And, 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 And how can I pray for you? Well, you can say it's because of Jesus. Because I've received that. I experienced that within the church. It's because of Jesus that I continually pour out. And maybe you even connect a different dot where you say, because I'm learning to be like Jesus at Generation Church, would you want to go on that journey with me? Where we do that collectively, together. Celebrate, checking in, saying that it's only because of Jesus that we do this. Because we know left to our own devices, we'll tend to set limits. We'll tend to set terms. We'll say, well, I can't go here. Um, It's too much for me. But when we are sourced and sustained by a good and gracious Heavenly Father, and His love endures forever, it enables us to be present and endure each and every day in our everyday lives. So I don't know what step you need to take this morning. Uh, but I'm excited because I believe in a time as we think about going on vacation and summer and travel and maybe restrictions changing, as we think about this, sum- heading into this summer, we can be people who take with us a joy even after the craziness of this year. We can say we are joyful, we are people of purpose, and we're going to continually to check in. So maybe throw a neighborhood party. Maybe text a friend that you haven't in a while. And maybe just even set a reminder, a little cheat on your phone. Text so-and-so every single week to say how they are doing. And do it. Don't give up on it. Because Jesus didn't give up on you. He pursued you. He loves you. And his faithful love.